In part three, Dr. Carlson talks about finding good candidates, retention of those of those critical staff member, and setting goals. Enjoy. So how do you find the best candidate? Have you guys talked about talent care? So this is something that Vision Source provides for you, is you can use talent care. So if you want talent care to do some of the background check, or not the background checking, but um, kind of having people do applicants and kind of looking for you for applicants. And you guys are in a larger metropolitan area with Omaha. I think that would work really well for you guys. It doesn't work so well for us because I live in a town of 1,400 people. So, you know, hiring talent care is really not a good bang for my buck. But you guys with a more metropolitan area could have talent care do your initial resumes, collate them all, actually look at them to see who's actually a valid candidate or not and meets your job description requirements. And you can pay for any of the services that you want. They'll do interviewing for you, too. And they'll narrow it down to the top five people or whatever you want it to be. Um, so Talent Care has a relationship with Vision Source. Um, so val Talent Care, um, I thought this was interesting. According to Talent Care, 66% of healthcare professionals will take a lower salary for a great culture. What does that say about work life, right? about the culture. Um, so when I was AOA president and president-elect, I went around to each and every school, right? And I gave a motivational talk at each of the schools about why you should be involved in our profession and the importance of being involved, right? So this was one of my questions. Now, it didn't talk about money, right? But I said, who in here wants to work an 80-hour week? No hands. Who in here wants to work a 60-hour week? No hands. 40? I, I got a few hands at 40, okay? Who in here wants to work like a 32-hour week, 24-hour week? Boom, hands up like crazy. And it wasn't just the women, guys. It was the guys as much as the women. It was not, it, you know, because I specifically looked at that because I was told that I was going to be the death of the profession. Um, you know, not me personally, but women in particular. We're going to be the death of the profession. And, you know, I'm looking, I'm like, really, you're saying that to me and I'm president of the AOA? Like, what? But I digress. Um, but it wasn't just the women, it was the guys too. And so it's about the culture and about the working environment and you know what it is we bring to them to them as a person and you know how they can fit in their life that they want, or their hunting that they want, or their husker football that they want, or whatever it might be, and as far as that's concerned. But I thought that was really interesting. So that's a sociological um, study that they've done that they actually found they'll accept less money. For a better culture. Um, so how do we keep employees? Okay, so people leave, right? So we're, let's talk about retention for a little bit. You could take them to a mindfulness summit. I had this magazine that I was looking at and I was like, oh my gosh, everybody's getting into this about retention for employees. You could take them to a summit and do mindfulness for a weekend. Um, but maybe not, maybe that's not your thing. So let's talk about communication. So team meetings, you know, having some regular communication. You know, I had one, some, I had somebody said, we meet every six months. So a question for you, how often do you guys do staff meetings? Well, first, let me boil it down. How many in here do staff meetings? Okay, how often? Throw it out. Weekly? Monthly? Anybody more than monthly? You know, I would, I would, hazard a guess that the folks that if we meet more frequently 
it's easier to keep people on your mission statement. It's easier to keep people on their big picture. It's easier to get things done. It depends upon the size of your practice. And I know some people distill it down and maybe they meet with optical this often or that, you know, depending on how big your practice is, makes a difference with how often it is. But just keep that in mind. It's about the communication and about feedback. Um, you know, if it's big enough, maybe it's a newsletter, going over your mission's value statement, but communication. So you have to just figure out how often it is and the quality of that communication. Flexibility. Is it too hot, too cold? Is it cramped? Is it messy? You know, just something about the flexibility of it. So here's a story. How would you like to lose 14 staff members inside of 10 months? 14 inside of 10 months. So this was an optometrist friend of ours, Pete and mine, when I say ours, um, that was telling us a story. And he, I think they have 35 staff members. So they just about went through half of their staff members in 10 months. What a huge turnover. So, but they did something that I thought was really brilliant. They started doing exit interviews and also interviewing the people that they, that they kept and asked them a variety of questions trying to distill it down like, why did they lose 14 people? There was two things that they boiled down to. One was um, pay. And it wasn't that they weren't getting paid fairly because they were making a really nice um, wage, but they heavily did their pay based on bonuses. And so because of the bonus system, that wasn't a guaranteed salary. So it, this practice was in a pretty large metropolitan area and people were going to buy homes and their base salary that they said that they got was much less so that they didn't qualify for mortgages. I had never thought of that until we started having this conversation because, yeah, they were, they were making lots of money or, you know, a fair wage, but because it was so heavily on the bonus side, it actually limited with them with what they could do for getting a mortgage for a house. It's made me kind of stop and think about how we've done pay structures in our office after having that conversation. And there's lots of studies to say that bonuses work for a really short period of time, and then after that they have no effect. So who, who does bonuses? Reward your team. Yep. Doesn't have to be money, though. What's your name? Josh, I thought you handled that patient so awesome today. You did such a great job. You know, I'm really, thank you so much. You add so much to the team. Honest to God, that people want to be recognized. People want to feel valued. People are people. And I have a slide about that, but, you know, so. I mean, a fair wage, of course. Ways to pers yes, and there's certain ways. There's certain ways to approach them. Yep. Same thing. Some people want gifts. Some people want the verbal. Some people. Well, it, it you have to. Well, no one's going to be unhappy about that. Okay, first off, I mean, for the most part, nobody's going to be unhappy about that. And. 
So, but I mean, you have to also know how to respond and, and having a disk profile on them about what to do, what to, because it, when you get the disk profile, it says, here's how to approach Josh, because he likes this. And you get that information. So, you know, sometimes we've actually, when we have to go do a review, we've dug out their disk profile sometimes and reread it really fast, going, oh yeah, that's right, we can't, we have to do this. I mean, we're not perfect either. So I'm not standing up here saying I have all the answers, but that's a method of gathering some information to do that. The, and the rewards, I mean, this woman was really happy about getting a wine glass and being recognized that they went through a year of suffering for EHR. So it doesn't, it's not always about the money. It's about, and we talk about culture, right? So if we have this culture where people feel valued and feel heard, that means a lot to people. Ooh, the love language guy did that? I have not read that. Seven levels of appreciation? Because I've read the love languages thing probably two, three times. <laughs> okay. So, but the point being is that there's no right or, you know, magic bullet. There's not, you know, I'm not saying, I just happen to be familiar with DISC, okay? Um, just because I got e exposed to it so many times. But there's all kinds of things. Lori Sorensen proposed, do you remember what her thing is? It's the, the passion, it's the pleaser, it's the it's four steps. I just went through it with Lori, and I'm sorry I can't remember the name of it. But there's other things that you can do that aren't as, you know, um, as much. But it, the big point of it is the take home, is just knowing how to respond and how to treat people and how to what they respond to, you know? Um, some people will love the fact that you called them out in front of others and, you know, glorified them with it, and some people will be totally embarrassed. Um, so, you know, but but a one-on-one -on -one and thanking somebody one-on-one, -on -one, nobody is ever going to be upset about that. And if they are, they shouldn't be on your team. So anyway, oh, the second thing, to finish this story, second thing that they found out was that they were open like two nights a week plus Saturdays and rotated the staff around. And staff weren't feeling like they had this really nice work-life balance. And so as a result, they actually decreased some of their clinic hours, um, just kind of catering to some of the, because they were trying to do daycare. And you know, people that were, you know, had one husband, the husband going here and the wife going here and they're trying to coordinate and, and just the work hours that they were requiring of their staff was an issue. And so they actually took a hard look at their clinic hours, trying to accommodate better for what the staff needs were. So those were the two things that it boiled down to. And life can be messy. So helping staff be, you know, sometimes we're pretty flexible, um, maybe too flexible sometimes, but at the same token, it's like I've had staff come to me and say, thank you, I realized we were short-staffed, but I really needed to be at my son's basketball game. I get it. I would want to do that too. So, you know, it's how you handle it. Um, location and hours were more important than salary. Another one done by local eyesight. Some of these studies are kind of interesting because um, you think it's always about the money, but it's not always about the money. Oh, so quick story. Oh, running out of time here, but um. So I was sitting at Expo East one day having lunch, minding my own business. This was a few years ago. And um, 
I'm listening to these two guys across, you know, those round tables that they have that you sit at in lunches and exhibit halls. I'm listening to these two guys talk to each other. And um, one guy was telling the story about how he was so proud how he berated an employee because she used the microwave in the office and smelled up the office. And she, he, he let her have it because she smelled up the office, blah, 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 blah. And so he's going on to his buddy about the fact that, you know, he was really proud of the fact that how he came down on that staff member. And I'm sitting there eating my lunch going, I'm really glad I don't work for him. You know, if you have a kitchen, if you have the ability for people to cook in your office, put in a venting system. You know, don't go berate somebody for using it. Um, so use a little common sense. And so, you know, I, I, I've asked myself the question, would I want to work for me? And so if you think about it, it starts with you, right? So would you want to work for you? Something to think about. And then focusing on wellness is a big retention thing. You know, lots of stuff have been, has been published about wellness issues that you can do for the office. Um, challenges, wellness challenges, whatever it might be. You know, a really funny thing for us was water. And it, it's so cheap. We put in one of those five-gallon Culligan tanks, you know, that uh, the dispensers for water in the office, because the staff was doing these health challenges, and it was drinking 64 ounces of water a day was part of this health challenge. Well, you know, the water out of the tap isn't nice and cold and great. And, and so we put in the water dispensers, and you'd think that we, like, I don't know, we had done the world or something to them. It was just like something really super simple that cost us hardly anything. And that staff goes through five or six jugs of five-gallon tank jugs of water per month, and but they think it's the greatest thing because they have great water when they're at work. Go figure. And then giving them growth opportunities. Um, so staff retreats, talking a little bit about that. Um, so meetings in fun places, different things. So when I became president of the AOA, um, we decided to close the office, right? And close the office for three days, put a sign on the door, put all the ads up. Kind of made it a big hurrah because of the fact that I was going to be president of the AOA too. We took all of the staff to the meeting. And um, paid for them. We, so we paid them their regular wages for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We didn't pay them for Sunday, we just said it was a travel day, but we paid them for four days, eight hours a day, right? And we paid for the travel expenses, we paid for their hotel rooms, we paid for everything, and um, you know they got to be part of the festivities of being coming AOA president. We also said you have to attend so many hours of education, but it wasn't erroneous, that it wasn't to the point that they couldn't go sightsee, right? So we had plenty of time that they could go do other stuff. But in return, you're gonna, I think it was eight hours of CE we required them to go to. And, you know, so I'm thinking, oh, we lost this money, and we could have had our associates working, because we had associate ODs. They could have been home making money for us, right, seeing patients. Um, we could have had that done, but, you know, it was the philosophy of doing this, and just about celebration of the fact that I was going to be present. We came home, and I'm, you know, in the hallway, and I'm listening. And I have staff in the optical telling patients, did you know that Dr. Carlson is president of the AOA? It was so cool. And, and I, then I heard something about, I attended this course. Do you know that non-glare lenses are actually blah, 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 blah? You know, and so I heard something about that. And so for a few weeks, I would hear like these little like offhand remarks about something about they were excited about what they were doing and they were educating patients, whether it about been about the fact that I was president or something about that they learned in class. What's the dollar value on that? 
I honestly don't know. But I had staff that was so energized and came home so excited about doing what they were doing that, okay, so I lost three days' worth of production, and it cost me some money. Was it the end of the world? Did I pay my grocery bills? Yes. Did we make the loan payments for the equipment in the building? Yes. Did the staff still get paid? Yes. Was I down at the end of the year and in, uh, you know, my God, we're going to have to close because we're not making any money? No. So we decided to do it again. And so this time we took them all to New York City. And we only had one person that had ever been to New York City before, and we took them to Expo East. We did the exact same thing. Closed the office completely. Shut it down, I think it was for two days this time, Thursday, Friday. And flew everybody to New York City and spent all of the same thing. We paid them for three days' worth of wages. We didn't pay them for Sunday, but we paid them eight hours for three days. Said, here's how many hours you have to take. This is the picture they took. So they're out sightseeing around New York City, and they got together, and they ended up taking this picture together, and it's hung up in the office. And then we came back to the office, and I heard the staff, the docs took us to New York City. Did you know? And then we learned, da-da-da-da-da. And you start hearing this stuff, and there's like this little excitement thing that happens in the office. Yeah, we lost some money. Yeah, we lost some production. Yeah, we may have inconvenienced patients because we were not open those two days for them to pick up their glasses. But I, I can guarantee you it's the intangibles of that morale-boosting team building. These guys are from two different locations. And they had this camaraderie, so they're Skyping back and forth during the day, and they're talking to each other. And you know, it's things like this that build a team as well. So I would really encourage you, if you haven't done it, making money, it, this is my personal opinion, my husband and I were just going through the, uh, we're going through a, a position right now where we're bringing in a partner. And um, my husband was being really hard-nosed about something. And, you know, no, I want this dollar amount, you know. He, so we were at a crossroads because he would not budge, right? And so we instant messaged back and forth on Skype. And so I'm in the other office one day and I said, does it really matter? At the end of the day at my funeral, I don't care how much money I made. I don't care if I won that fight. I don't care because that's not what I'm about. I'm about having a partnership where I want something to start out really positive. And so sometimes it's not always about being right or being hard-nosed or making the dollar amount. Um, but there's bigger things in the picture, so I'll, I'll get off my soapbox now. But um, you kind of get the idea. I think there's some other intangibles there that are really worthwhile. So investing in your team. It's like investing in your retirement. It's not that much different. Um, and People will believe and support that which they create. Um, okay, I'm trying to be mindful of time here. Uh, real quickly, so three C's of communication. Pete Keo and I are putting this, this lecture together because we did it together the very first time that we did it. And I sent him a text, and he travels all over. He's on Optas' advisory board. So he was in the UK. Sent him a text, hey, Pete. What's the three C's of communication? He sends me back this picture, and he says, control cranberry and champagne. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So anyway, it's be consistent, be clear, and concise. So just those are the three C's. That's all you have to remember is just be consistent, be clear, be concise. And then this is a numbers game I was going to do with you guys, but there's not time. 
So again, these are more of the matrix that Tony Jiri has set up um, as far as what you do for, um, this is for an optometric assistant technician, you can create the templates of what you want them to do. Communicate, communicate, communicate. People will not do if they don't know that you want them to do it, right? They can't read your mind. And I want to get to a certain slide. Um, real quick story. Marvin Windows. So I know that you, there's Anderson and there's Pella and there's Marvin. Anyone heard of Marvin Windows before? Okay. Marvin Windows started in northern, northern Minnesota, not far from where I grew up. And um, they're a family-owned company, still are a family-owned company. They've been around for years and years, and they've been they're very, very philanthropic. If you go to the Warroad, Minnesota, they have their name on the ice arena, they have their name on the swimming pool, they have their name on the school, they have, I mean, because they've given tons of money back to the community. So um, what happened in 2008 was the Great Recession, and the housing market, pfft, nothing. And so Pella, Anderson, a whole bunch of other companies in the housing industry laid off employees. Marvin Windows has a facility in our um, community that they built, and they, um, so they're doing windows in our area. And what they did was they went to their employees and said, look, the easy decision would be to just lay people off because nobody's ordering windows. But we don't want to do that because we realize that you have families and mouths to feed, you need to pay grocery bills, you have bills in general. So here's what we're going to do. Across the board, we're going to decrease everybody's hours. Right, so everybody's going to have a decrease, including um, salaried individuals. Everybody was going to have a decrease in wages, hours, and wages. We'll keep you on your health insurance, so you're not going to lose your health insurance. And they they kind of named off a few things. They have tuition reimbursement. They took that away for a while. They kind of short, they kind of um, pared down on the um, retirement programs that they did or what they would give to retirement. But everybody kept their job. And they said, we realize if you have to go somewhere else, that's okay. But um, if you have to go somewhere else, we won't hold that against you. But this is what we're going to do to keep everybody. Marvin Windows has huge support. They don't have a union. They've asked them to keep the union out. They would just treat them fairly. And Marvin Windows has a huge following. The people that work for them love them, by and, by and large. And it's because they treat their employees well. So here's where I was going. Understand people, because we all work with people. Patients are people, and our staff are people. And so the bottom line here, I think, is that people are insecure. Give them confidence. They want to feel special. Compliment them. They want to feel special. They want to have a better tomorrow. They want to be understood. They're selfish. We're all selfish, right? It's about me first, right? Because I'm not going to think about, oh, you know, I need to worry about Sheila first. That's not how we are, unfortunately. You know, maybe we'd be a better world if we did that. But we tend to be selfish. Um, we get emotionally low. They want encouragement. Bottom line is people are people. So if we're working to understand our staff, because we're people too, and we see this in ourselves and in our patients and everything, you know, the world would be just a better place if we all just remembered people are people. Um, and I know that we're running low on time here, so just one other thing, just another story is about managing hardship. Um, okay, aside from somebody dying, okay, or having cancer and being really sick in the office, because you're never going to one-up that, what could be a really super hard thing in your office to go through? I, I'm going there. I, I have something, obviously, that I'm going for, but anybody... 
think of something other than somebody dying or, or you know, having a chronic illness or something. Switching EHRs. Maybe that could be a real hardship. So um, in 2007, we went to Revolution EHR. And we actually were one of the beta testers. And so, yeah, that maybe wasn't such a wise decision. But I knew Scott Jens. I believed in Scott Jens. He's a go big or go home kind of guy. We had to switch anyway because ours was going out of business. And so we decided to just go in full tilt. Okay. So we go in with EHR. Now we're switched. we've switched. We've made everybody's lives miserable, right? Well, they start telling us how miserable we've made their lives, right? And our associate docs are coming to us saying, well, we want more pay because it's taking more time to chart. And, you know, so, oh, my gosh, what do you do? How do you control this animal? So my husband and I were talking, and we said, we've got to do something. Well, I think it was Mark's idea. I'm going to give him total credit for this. We ordered lobster. And we ordered in live lobster from Maine, had them crawling on the floor, and we cooked dinner for everybody that night. And the reason why we picked lobster is it's messy. Nobody can be picky about eating, right? Because you're going to have this mess, and you're going to wear bibs. And you're going to, you know, because it's a messy dinner if you've ever had a big live lobster plop down in front of you. And we knew everybody's favorite drinks. Yes, there was some alcohol involved. And so we just said, all right, here's everybody's favorite drinks. We're going to cook you dinner tonight. So my husband and I had them at our house, had everybody down, cooked dinner. But we started it this way. I realize that all of you are really upset about the fact that we went to, was called iCode Write at the time, um, that we went to iCode Write, um, and so that we're on um, electronic health records. But our other system was going out of business. We made, we did the research. This is why we went through all the whys of why we picked this particular company, and said we're not going back. We're not going back to paper. We're going to go forward, and we're going to make this work. So tonight, excuse the language, guys, you can bitch as much as you want tonight. I want you to bitch as much as you want tonight. But on Monday, when you come to work, we're done bitching, okay? So the revolution guys talk about this, about the lobster party that we had, because it was like after that, we were just done. But we laid out the reasons why. We laid out the... the the reason for the decisions that we made reminded everybody else and said, we will listen to every complaint that you have tonight, but realize that on Monday, we're going to be on iCode right. So this is, I have more pictures, but this is what the whole evening ended up being. I think they had kind of a good time. Um, and then just keep evolving. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of places that are out of business, right? Do you know who developed the first digital camera? Kodak, and they buried it because it would hurt their film business. And now look at, where's Kodak now? So, you know, keep evolving. So that's kind of the take-home message on that. And who knows what's going to happen with our profession of the future. Maybe we'll be printing frames with, on 3D printers in our offices shortly. Who, who knows? So, and then just, are you the CEO of your practice? Or are you working in your practice or on your practice? Because there's a difference. Um, so I would encourage you to work on your practice. And, okay, last thing, then we'll quit. Goals. All right, I used to quote this study done, was it Yale or was it Harvard or whatever, and the business students, well, it turns out that that was just a totally false rumor. They never did the study. So I was really disheartened when I was like, really? I've been quoting this stupid study. There actually was a study. But it was done at the Dominican University. 
and they wrote down goals. So for years, I've been writing down goals every year, and I put it in our tax file. So next year, when I go to do our taxes, it's in our tax file, and I'm looking, oh, well, we did that. We did that. Usually we have a financial goal, we have an office goal, we have a fitness goal. I did it with my boys, right? What kind of stories are they going to tell later on in life? Um, my youngest son said, he wrote down his goal. I had said he had had a, a school goal. Um, to have a 2.0 grade average. So we had a conversation about realistic goals and really about a goal in general. But So I made my boys do it too. But I made them write it down. And maybe it's a subliminal part of it, but they actually did a study that said that if you wrote down your goals, you were 39.5% more likely. And if you told somebody else, Somebody who would hold you accountable, 76.7%, okay? So, one thing, guys, tonight, one, one thing. Maybe mine is going to go back and start doing our mission statement or our staff meeting. I want you to think about it. I want you to write it down. Put it on your phone. Put it in the notes. Email it to somebody, whatever. But I want you to think of one thing that maybe something got jogged about what you wanted to do differently, and I want you to write it down. I don't see anybody writing. But seriously, you know, if you write it down, you are more apt to have it happen as a reality. And that's the whole thing about goals. You know, sometimes we make goals so that they're so huge that they're just unattainable. The smart method of making goals, um, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and with time based on them. That's the smart method. I'm going to be healthier this year. That's not a good goal, guys. I'm going to lose five pounds by the end of February. That's a specific goal, attainable, realistic. So it's got to be something that's realistic, and that's how goals start. Because so often, especially we're in January, right? Resolutions. Everybody talks about resolutions. This is a great time to rethink about what, how you're looking at goals, personal or your office. And then as a group, we're a bunch of individuals. As a team, we're kind of or we're doing something, but we're kind of still independent. But as a high-performing team, we can accomplish anything. So, um, And if you want more information, as I said, there's stuff on Insights. You can find it in the practice management leadership portion of that. And remember, it starts with you. Because if you're not being a leader, you can't expect your staff to follow you.